0: So Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 29 tonight, in a study I'm calling Use the GPS, very practically. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the book of Hebrews, Lord, and what you have taught us so far in this book. Lord, The continue reminders and exhortations, Lord, that we've received. Pray, Lord, that we'd heed those things and, as a result, experience growth and uh, Lord, a deeper walk with you, and so may your spirit move heart to heart. Apply these truths in Jesus' name, Amen. So I think God in His providence created GPS specifically for me, and that is to keep me alive. Now, GPS, just in case you didn't know, actually means God's protective service. And you might not know that, right? Now I can name a number of times before GPS. I, I, I you know, who knows about maps? I, I can't. I can't even read those things. On my way to the Magic Kingdom, or on training, being turned around and taking the wrong turn, you know, in, in L.A. Oh, Indiana Street. Let's get off here, you know, kind of, and, and end up in the wrong places. To my wife, it seemed scary, but for me, like, it was it was scary at times. I'm like, oh, okay, let's let's turn this around and try try to get back on the freeway. Try to figure out how to how to navigate back, taking detours. But now, thanks to Siri and the guy, I call Todd. I, I call him Todd. He just, reminds me of the guy thought. I don't know why. But, you know, they get me exactly where I need to go. They keep me on track. And they keep me on track well. Because, you know, when you're going, they don't let you get all the way off the cliff. They'll actually recalculate, you know, or, or rerouting you as, as you're trying to take wrong turns along the way. Now, this is a weak example, but it illustrates, I believe, the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in our life as we journey to the city and the kingdom of God which is eternal in the heavens you see the world the flesh and the devil they seek to try to throw us detours right they try to make us get off on different detours whether it's through persecutions or tribulations or trials or temptations whatever it might be they try to get us off our route keep us from our final destination but the lord through his word and through his spirit reroutes us quickly As soon as we take that wrong turn, the Spirit convicts us. His Word is there to correct us, to get us back on course in order to press forward to get to our final destination. Now, we see this practically tonight in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. Now, everybody knows the background by now of this book, but I'll reiterate it again. These first century Hebrew Christians, they were tempted, because of the persecution that they were receiving, to go back to Judaism. They thought, man, if we can just go back to Judaism... Everything will be great. We'll have peace again. We won't receive persecution from our Jewish family members or from the Jewish community. Everything will just be good. The writer of Hebrews writes them and says, well, that's not the destination you want. And it's not going to give you the results that you really need. But rather, there is no compromise in the Christian life. But you need to press forward on this one-way street and the signs are all pointing forward. There is no going back. They need to persevere and press forward. Now, in order to encourage these readers to press forward, the writer prevents a number uh, presents, excuse presents a number of contrasts and comparisons throughout the book. He compares a number of themes in Judaism with Jesus, and he shows that Jesus is greater. But also he contrasts the law with the blessings that we have in Jesus and also in the New Covenant. And we see such an example here tonight. The writer's then used the law and illustrated with Mount Sinai and the experiences Israel had on Mount Sinai. With the new covenant blessings that we have illustrated by Mount Zion. After these two comparisons, then he gives the exhortation to press forward in the grace and inheritance that we have through these new covenant blessings. So as we work through these verses tonight and apply these principles, we'll learn two things or excuse me, three things in our study. First, beware of detours in your Christian journey. Second, remember the final destination of your journey. And third, remember the consequences of detours. And respond to God's GPS. So first in verses 18 through 21, we see beware of detours in your Christian journey. The writer picks up in verse 18 and says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they cannot endure what was commanded. And so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. So the mountain here is not talking about Mordor in the Lord of the Rings, but it's talking about Mount Sinai and the experiences that the children of Israel had there at the mountain. You can read about it in the book of Exodus, chapters 19 to 20. Now notice how the writer explains it. He kind of gives us a commentary on it here. He said, when Israel came to the mountain, this is what they experienced. First, the beginning of verse 18 says it was untouchable. There was a fence built around this mountain, and that was to prevent anything from getting past that fence into the mountain. Nothing can touch it. God commanded that if even an animal got past that fence and touched the mountain, it was to be killed. Another reason why they were to have animal obedience classes, probably, right? You know, they didn't want their dog to get astray. Caesar Milan wouldn't, you know, he probably didn't exist that time. They would just stone the dog. Also, another reason why you couldn't have a cat. Because cats, they don't listen anyways, right? They just go on. But even an animal, if it got past and touched this mountain, it was to be killed. Now, the end of verse 18 says, that This mountain burned with fire. It was surrounded with blackness and tempest. Mount Sinai burned with fire from heaven. And it was a great smoke there as they watched it. The children of Israel heard from God when they stood before this mountain, Later on, we'll see that God thundered and caused a great earthquake when he spoke. Here we're told that his voice sounded like a trumpet. Or excuse me, his voice thundered, and then they also heard the sound of a trumpet. So it was just this amazing sound as they heard from God, and they heard these different things that were going on as they were there at the mountain. When they heard these things, they begged Moses to mediate for them. And then even Moses, the righteous leader who God used to deliver Israel and also give them the law... He was also terrified and trembled. And so if Moses, the righteous leader, was fearful and trembling, how much more were the people? Now the point of the writer is describing these, in, in, uh, describing these experiences for us was to show us that God's law was holy, it was just and good. It also had its place in the Old Testament, but it was not something that the New Testament believer wanted to return back to. It was not the result that they wanted. It wasn't the destination that they wanted to finally end up at. They wanted to remain in the new covenant blessings of grace. Why go back to the law? Why go back to Mount Sinai? You see, the law revealed God's righteous requirements against sin, but also revealed his wrath against sin. The purpose of the law was to produce the knowledge of sin, and it was impossible to keep the law all the way. So you had this knowledge of sin, you knew what God's righteous requirements were, but the law didn't provide you the inward enabling or the means in order to keep the law. Also, the Bible says that a person, is guil- a person is guilty of all the law if they offend one point of the law. And so, God has all these laws, and then if they broke one of the law, they were guilty and under the curse of the whole law. And so, the writer is using these experiences, saying, "Listen, guys, people were fearful and trembling at the law. It wasn't the experience, you know. It wasn't Disneyland for them when they were there. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't great. They were, they were terrified." It wasn't the closeness with God. There was a, uh, you know, a, a fence between them. It brought distance between them. It didn't bring them closer. So why do you want to go back to Judaism? The writer's point is clear. It's crazy to go back. They need to continue to remain where they are. You know, there's no reason to go back. You know, just press forward. Now, it can't be, we can't be too hard on these Hebrews because we experience the same forgetfulness and ignorance as we walk with Jesus. Our, you know, our forgetfulness. Often, after we're saved for a while, we forget what it was like to live in the world. You see, after we're saved, you know, the, the moment everyone gives their life to Jesus is like, okay, I'm turning away from those things. I know those things are crazy and evil and, you know, they tore up my life. And, you know, we just flush all those things down and get away, you know, get rid of all those things. And then after we walk with Jesus for a while, we start looking back and think, well, maybe they weren't that bad. You know, we kind of forget about those things, it's kind of like the children of Israel did. Here, they begin forgetting about those things. Also, we can have ignorance about these things. You see, the Hebrews were not there at Mount Sinai. They never experienced it. But yet, they had the Word of God to tell them exactly what it was like. And so maybe you didn't get saved out of a crazy lifestyle and forget about those things. Maybe you never really experienced those things. Well, you don't need to go back and experience them to find out that they'll tear your life up. We have the Word of God. We have testimonies like, Sam, like uh, Solomon, you know, and, and, and those guys. And we have testimonies of people who went out, and Solomon said, Hey, I went out and sought pleasure, and I saw all these things in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the end, they're all vanity. They're all vexation. They're all grasping for the wind. So we have God's Word, and, you know, and we also have the reason why not to go back. Second, verses 23 to 24, were to remember the final destination of your journey. He says, "But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the Living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the great uh, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the Judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the Mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel." And so, your present position in Christ assures you of blessings and also of future rewards. Paul tells us the same thing in Ephesians 1.3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So because you're in Christ, exactly where you are, the Bible promises you that you have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just because you're in Jesus. Why go back? Why go anywhere else? Why not press forward and experience all those blessings that the Lord has for us? And the writer points out the same thing here. He said, guys, think about your position. Think about what blessings you have through the new covenant that Jesus gave us through the cross. He says, you're at Mount Zion. Now, this Mount Zion is not a visible mountain now. It's a mountain that we'll see in the kingdom age. It's referring to that mountain. We know this because it's connected with the city and this city is referring to the New Jerusalem, which we will see revealed at the end of the ages in Revelation 21 and 22. It's our eternal home where we're going to dwell forever and ever with the Lord. It's a heavenly city that ascends, or excuse me, descends out of heaven as we spend our, you know, the rest of our existence there with the Lord. Now, the writer goes on to describe the glory of this new city in contrast to the scary themes of Zion or of Sinai. He says. So here's, uh, here's Zion and all the blessings that are surrounded. that. Think about this in contrast with Sinai. He says, first, there's angels there. You know, a number of angels that we can't even count. Innumerable. And they're all there dwelling with us. Second, the church of Jesus Christ is there. We're registered in heaven. So the moment you believe in Jesus, your name is registered in this city. You're allowed entrance into this city. It's pretty cool. It's something need to tell a person who's not saved. Hey man, are you registered yet? With the vote? No. In in heaven, with you know, the city not made with hands. Now, the firstborn is referring to Jesus here. Not that he was the first created spirit being, but that he was the first to rise again from the dead and never die. So the Lord is the first fruits of the resurrection. Guarantee you that because we believe in him we will also be raised from the dead. Third, God, the judge of all men, is there. Now, obviously, God is there, right? He's everywhere. But this is referring to his personal relationship with us. You see, we're going to dwell with God in this city. Just like Adam and Eve dwelled with God in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. You see, when God made man, he made man to have a relationship with him. You know, and, and we're told that God would come in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and Eve. They were naked and unashamed. And then what happened when they ate of the fruit they sinned, it brought distance between man and God. They couldn't have this same relationship anymore. He banished them from the garden, from the tree of life, because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good evil. But God's going to restore that. He's going to bring back this relationship that he intended for us to have from the very beginning. There is the spirits of just men made perfect. This is referring to the Old Testament saints who are justified by faith alone. So, man, we're going to be hanging out with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. With all these guys, with Moses and all these saints of the past. And fifth and finally, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, will be there. So we're going to spend eternity with Jesus there in this city. Now referring to Jesus, it says here, through the blood of sprinkling. Now under the law, when they were at Sinai, there was a sprinkling of the blood of a sacrifice. The people made a conditional covenant with God. God. There, God said, if you fulfill all my laws and and keep my laws, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, you'll be cursed. And the people said, we're going to obey everything you say. And so they cut covenant there. Right? They sprinkled the blood upon um, the law. And they also sprinkled the blood upon the people, symbolizing this covenant. Well, the moment we believe in Jesus, we receive this sprinkling of blood. And so we're sealed in, in the salvation that we have. But also... It's representing the fact that the new covenant was signed and sealed through Jesus' blood. The fact that Jesus is the one who's going to guarantee it. It's not between us anymore. It's not our responsibility. It's based upon the Lord and him alone. It's an unconditional covenant. Now, also talking about his blood here, it says here that his blood is greater than Abel's. You see, when Abel was killed by his brother Cain, and God came to Cain and said, hey, uh, um, you know, why'd you kill your brother Abel? His blood cries to me from the ground. He was referring to the vengeance that his blood was crying out, that because he murdered his brother, justice must be done. Well, Jesus' blood cries out something greater. It doesn't cry out vengeance, but it cries out mercy and grace, that all those who receive it will receive mercy and grace. So the writer is very clear in what he's communicating here. He says, guys, look at Sinai. Look at all the judgments and all the scary stuff that was surrounding that mountain. But look at Mount Zion and all the blessings that surround that. Your name is registered in heaven. This is the destination that you're heading towards. Why go back? Rather, respond to the blood of Jesus and the grace that comes through that and continue to press forward. He goes on and talks about Um, responding to God and and also to his GPS in verses 25 through 29. He says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they do not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So the writer is using some serious words here. Notice this: first, he refers to the wor- he refers to the word "refuse," and then he refers to the words "turn away." He says, "Hey, don't refuse God who's speaking to you, and don't turn away." This describes a disobedient child who is blatantly defiant against their father's word. Right? You talk to them, you tell them something, and they don't hear you, and then they just turn their back on you and walk away. It's like, oh, wow, right? God cannot and will not let that disobedience go. They must be disciplined. And the writer of Hebrews is talking to the children of Israel here, these Hebrews, the same way. He said, hey guys, listen, God is speaking to you right now. He's crying to you through the blood of Christ and through the new covenant that he has established. Through his word. Don't refuse God's voice and don't turn your back on what he's telling you. If you do, there's going to be discipline. And we talked about that last week. God loves us as the father. And the Bible says, whom God loves, he will chase them. He'll, he'll turn them back through, through discipline. And so the, the writer exhorts them here. Now how much more should we as believers respond in obedience to God? You see, if God disciplined the children of Israel under the old covenant... How much more should we respond in the new covenant? When God spoke, it was like a great earthquake. And the people heard it. And the people responded everything that God says we'll do. And based on that commitment, God would bring judgment for disobedience. And then the writer goes on and says, well, how much more for us? God who speaks through grace and through mercy and and through this greater shaking that we'll see later on at the end of Revelation. How much more should we respond to him? Now, talking about this greater shaking, we're told that at the book, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, at the end of the millennial age, there will be a, once more a great shaking. And this great shaking will be when God dissolves his present heaven and earth and recreates a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the purpose of this shaking is to do away with the material and bring about the eternal, the city of God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so there's going to be one more shaking Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So in summary, therefore, or in light of what was previously said, why go back to Judaism? That only brought judgment and distance from God. Judaism and the temple would be done away with. They were material things, and they would soon be dissolved. It would give way to eternal things. And those eternal things are those things that they were headed towards. The promises of God that they were walking by faith in as their forefathers did. They were to press forward. So, based on this, if they were getting off in their thinking, God would correct their direction as they rely, as they would hear His word and also rely upon His grace. It would reroute them, right? This passage, it would reroute them to... To keep them on track. As they walked in God's grace, they would experience the blessing that God had for them. This would produce reverence and godly fear. Now what's reverence and godly fear? Well, it's in total contrast to refusing to hear God in in the turning away that we saw in the disobedient child. Right? The one who refuses to hear and the one who, who turns their back on God to walk in reverence, to walk in fear, is to hear God and to respect him, and to respond to the word that he's saying. That's what the writer wanted them to do. And if they would correct their course, and keep on the right path, they would be following God's protection, and they would reach the final destination that they wanted to be at. The same is true for you and I. We live in a world that's consumed with material things, the here and now. And the writer says, hey, don't put your stock in this material world, because there's going to be one more great shaking and it's all going to dissolve. And only the eternal things are going to last. It's easy to get detoured by these things, but we need to allow the Spirit to check us and to continue to reroute us. He's not going to let us get off the cliff, but He'll continue to strive with us daily as we walk with Him. If God's speaking to you tonight, respond to it. It's God's protective service. It's His GPS who's speaking to you. It's nothing to fear. It's nothing to run away from, but it's something to respond to to keep you rerouting back to the course that God wants you on. Let's correct our course and keep our minds focused on the heavenly things because that leads to His internal inheritance and eternal rewards. Amen?